Being civil and trying to persuade in such toxic times? Crazy, right? Hey friends, welcome to the Press Club C Podcast. I'm Ray Keating. In this 43rd episode, we're going to talk about 12 rules. 12 to keep in mind whether writing commentary, analysis, books, or even Facebook posts and tweets. But before doing that, let's quickly answer that key question once more. What the heck is the Press Club C? Anyway, each letter stands for stuff we talk about. P is for politics. R is for religion, mainly Christianity. E is for economics. S is for sports. That second S is for stories, books and writing, my own books, other books, fiction, nonfiction, reviews, etc. Uh, C is for culture, pop culture and otherwise. L is for life, the big catch-all. U is for understanding, lessons, like in history and economics and so on. B is for business and entrepreneurship. And that final C in Press Club C, that's conservative. Why? Because I am one. And in particular, I'm a Reagan, Kemp, Coolidge, Lincoln, Madisonian, Madisonian kind of conservative. We have to be specific these days. So let's talk about some rules for writing. Um, I really first addressed this in a Keating Files column. So I want to cover some of that, well, most of all that ground, but I want to expand upon, upon it uh, here a bit. So whether one, you know, writes articles, commentary, you know, books, or simply, you know, goes on Facebook and, you know, puts up some posts maybe related to some some hot button issues, political issues, whatever, uh, religious issues, or, or, or your regular tweeter on Twitter. Um, you know, a simple question, you need to ask yourself a very straightforward question. Why? What's the point? Why are you doing this? Now, if you're just looking, um, as I put it to in the column, to vent your spleen uh, and attack others, and that somehow makes you feel better, then, okay, don't bother listening to the rest of this, to the rest of this. Just, you know, get back to your very, very, very important and angry ranting. Um, but if you're, you're actually looking to, here's a crazy thought, persuade others. If you actually want to try to help them see the truth, well, then perhaps, um, a few rules are in order for doing so. Now, I jotted these down initially to help myself because I need, you know, I need to look at the rules once in a while because I have certainly been guilty of, uh, of doing, of writing some dopey things, um, over the past 31 years now of writing commentary, um, uh, economic analysis, economic analysis, policy analysis, business analysis, political analysis. You get the idea. Um, but, and over those 31 years, um, things have changed. Um, and I would argue rather dramatically, or at least it feels like, um, right now and in recent years that things have changed dramatically. Now, a big part of that is, is of the changes technological, right? Um, uh, the digital computer telecommunications internet revolution, um, has changed things greatly. It's expanded opportunities, like we never imagined before, allowing more individuals, for example, to, you know, to have their say, get their voices heard on a wide, wide range of issues. Um, and that's great. That is fantastic. Um, at the same time, there are things that we have to watch out for, right? The speed and immediacy of the internet. 
um, if you will, uh, it has meant that, that some things can be or have been lost. Um, now, what am I talking about? Well, you know, it, it seems like in the internet age, um, time for reflection has been lost, right? In order to, um, you know, that reflection helps you to more deeply explore an issue, think about it, and hopefully to more articulately express your ideas. Um, but that time for reflection has been diminished. Um, and also a big change, especially for those of us that write for a living is the diminished role, um, again, to the detriment of, I would argue to the detriment of both writers and readers, the diminished role of editors. Uh, in fact, uh, in some areas and some websites and so on, editors are non-existent. And of course, if you're just, you know, tweeting away or, or putting up some Facebook posts, you don't have an editor to run things by. But in terms of more, um, you know, in, in, in the area uh, where people do this for a living or, or in some way, shape or form, um, the role of the editor was critical, certainly critical in my career and editors are, are disappearing. Um, too far too quickly. Um, another <clears throat> problem is that, um, too many people that we refer to as experts these days seem to possess quite frankly, ankle deep talking points level of knowledge, uh, on issues that they spout off on. Um, so that they're talking with authority or writing with authority uh, doing videos with authority, and perhaps they they lack the knowledge and experience to kind of back up that authority. If you if you hear what I'm saying, so those things are not so good. You know, they're not good at all. Um, you know, all of a sudden, experts based on talking points and and the disappearance of editors. Um, these are these are real problems. Um. And, and I think these developments, along with an assortment of other things happening in our culture and in our politics, they've led to an expansion of the us versus them mentality. Now, that's always been there, especially, you know, listen, I've been writing, again, for over 30 years, a lot of political stuff. And, you know, the us versus them ideas is anything but new, uh, to say the least. But it has been expanded, I think, and intensified to a certain degree. Um, you know, some people have said it's a return to tribal thinking, um, just that our tribes are a little different these days, although the old tribes are still around as well. But, um, so it's reached the point though, and this is where the great concern comes in. It's reached the point, this us versus them mentality that large swaths of people seem to simply assume that. The, the folks on the other side, the people that they disagree with, they're not reachable. They are unreachable. Um, they treat them as if they are profoundly stupid or downright evil. And this is both sides. Um, and, and quite frankly, the left did this for a very long time, but now the right, particularly the populist right and so on, uh, have joined in uh, to with with unfortunate enthusiasm. 
So that this is all, uh, I would argue, very unhealthy. It's an unhealthy development, to say the least. So, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while. So, you know, to to help myself at the very least, um, you know, given that I write for a living and I profoundly enjoy it. Uh, again, I've been thinking about this more and more. And, and I've been thinking about how, how can we better engage people on ideas and issues? And this is just my humble contribution. I mean, I'm no deep thinker here, folks. So, you know, take it. Hopefully it's helpful in terms of some of the things that I'm going to talk about. But, you know, over the past three decades, I've written, again, as I mentioned before, I've certainly written some things that I would uh, express in a different way or tone today. Uh, Again, especially given how how toxic, I think that's a good word, uh, things are today. Uh, how, you know, the other guy is just evil mentality has deeply infiltrated both the left and the right. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about this, a little more about this in a moment. So the question I ask myself, what rules do I need to remind myself of when I sit down at the keyboard? So I came up with, with 12, 12 rules that I thought might be worthwhile for myself, but also to, to lay out for others who work to engage, teach, criticize, and persuade others. And again, as I said, from commentators and authors uh, to, to religious folks, pastors and priests, to elected officials, um, and then to those who just enjoy discussing policies and ideas, again, via places like Facebook and Twitter, for example. So these, these 12 are pretty straightforward. Um, I hope they're, when you kind of think about it and hear them, they're, they're rather self-evident. Um, so we don't necessarily need to go in deep on each, but I want to think, you know, talk a little bit about each one. So the first one is pretty straightforward. This kind of like comes from your mom growing up, no name calling, or maybe your teacher. No name calling. You know, after all, if you're if you're involved in a debate, what's the point? You know, after all, what what is the point of resorting to name calling? Um, quite frankly, it just diminishes yourself, um, and it 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 kind of reflects, uh, not kind of, it reflects poorly on you, and it says to other people that you really don't understand the issues. Um, and you're just resorting to name calling. So, you know, you have to ask yourself if you're, especially, you know, it's very easy to fall into that on on Facebook and Twitter and so on. So you have to ask yourself, what's the point? Um, what am I doing here by, by resorting to this? So that's number one, no name calling, rule one. Rule two, work to persuade others. That's in and of itself important, persuade. And then using, do so using logic, reason, and facts. Um, first off, that should be the objective, right? To persuade others. I mean, I, that's how I always thought about, or I try, you know, again, everybody slips and does dumb things, especially when you write over like 8,000 pieces in your career. There's a lot of dumb stuff that I've put, uh, in newspapers and so on, but you should be working to persuade. Um, and the best way to do that is to use logic, to use facts, Uh, to use reason, all of that is always better than just yelling at the other guy and making stuff up. So again, work to persuade using logic, reason, and facts. Number three, um, and this is something that uh, I think I've talked about before. Um, In fact, I know I have on on this podcast, and I've written about it in other places, but this was hammered into me by a longtime editor um, at, at Newsday going back a few years, Noel Rubinton, Noel, thank you again. Always, uh, the rule is always offer a solution 
remedy or worthwhile lesson. Actually, that has probably been, could be one of, if not the most important, one of the most important lessons that I learned as a writer. Um, even when cr- offering criticism, right? I would I would write a say a six hundred fifty to seven hundred word Newsday column, for example, and I'd be criticizing something going on. You know, my editor he always reminded me, even if it's just an idea to insert at the end to get people talking. You know, understanding you don't have the space to write all that out, but always offer some sort of solution or remedy. You know, I added a worthwhile lesson to that. That's important, I think. Um, Otherwise, you just come off as a guy that's, or a gal that's just yelling. Again, you don't want to yell. You want to use logic, reason, and facts, and you want to offer solutions, remedies, and lessons. All right, number four, rule number four. uh, You know, assume your opponent is mistaken and not evil. Now, it's hard to do that sometimes, especially with some issues that are, you know, literally life and death issues. But it's always better to assume your opponent is mistaken. Um, that someone who disagrees with you, to, to say, to assume, and then to say, as many people do, unfortunately, that the people who disagree with you, that just evil, is rarely productive, okay? Um so that's important to keep in mind. Well, there, there certainly are evil people in life. Assuming that all of your opponents are evil ignores the more likely reality for a variety of reasons they, that they're simply mistaken. So I've always tried to do that, um, which which keeps you in check. It helps your arguments because you you become more focused on persuasion and you become more civil. If you assume the other person's evil, um, then it's it's pretty easy to uh, to to, be, to get far less civil, um, and and to just uh, um, yell and oppose rather than persuade. Uh, I'm distressed. You know, I've seen um, members of the clergy. They are the exception, but I have seen them on places like Facebook and so on. Just simply categoric, categorically saying that someone that advocates this position is evil. Demonic. I've seen the word demonic. What's the point there? Right? <laughs> the point, I don't see what the point is. Um, you're just chasing that person away. And especially if you're, you know, if you're a pastor or a priest or something, you've got you got bigger, you've got big issues to deal with. <laughs> um, you know, you're talking about soul stuff, right? eternal soul things. Um, so what's the point in resorting to name calling and and just calling someone evil or demonic? Uh, it doesn't, again, it's not productive. It doesn't help anybody. Rule number five is yes. Firmly criticize when warranted. Obviously there's plenty of things to criticize, uh, in life and politics, uh, religion and so on. So you, you don't you can't shy away from that because we're all pursuing the truth, hopefully, or that's what we should be doing. But at the same time, you can criticize and still respect others. Crazy idea, right? So you, you can disagree with someone profoundly and still treat that person with respect. Treat that person civilly. Um, listen, in, in all when it comes to name calling, assuming your opponent is mistaken and not evil. Uh, criticize, but respect others. You know, I've had instances where this has made a difference. 
um, you know, I had a, an editor who was very young out of school and, and assumed that myself being a conservative writer and the person I was writing with at the time, just the person, the editor just assumed the worst because I think she never actually was exposed to, uh, to conservatives before, particularly people that, you know, are, are conservative and, and embrace the civil aspect of being a conservative. So, um, you know, we had a rough, uh, start, but by the end of the time I worked with her, she was, she was certainly friendly and respected, uh, didn't, you know, might've agreed a little bit more on a few things, but, um, but she certainly, I didn't transform her from being a liberal to a conservative, but she certainly had a different attitude towards conservatives and that opens doors, right? It opens minds. Um, anyway, uh, so number, rule number six, do not assume, um, this is on the other side, do not assume all who agree with you, all agree with, who agree with your position, understand the issues. Uh, this has become particularly evident to me in recent years. I've, it's been a hard lesson for me to learn. But just because somebody comes up with the right answer doesn't mean that they really understand the issue. It could, you know, they very easy for someone to have a talking points level of understanding and still come up with the right answer. So, um, so sometimes you're you're in the position where you have to um, kind of help the person that's on your side ultimately to get things clear. Um, you have to sometimes steer them away from, from assumptions or, uh, you know, from a whole host of things that are, that do not, um, that do not support their final conclusion, but they don't see that. So there's work to be done sometimes with your own allies. And, and that leads to, uh, to rule number seven, do not assume all who agree with your position act in good faith and warrant your allegiance and defense. So this is like the next step, right? Um, uh, you know, watching allies on issues defend the indefensible because the indefensible <laughs> has been perpetrated by someone on our side has been perplexing and profoundly discouraging for me. Um, and I think it's an expanding plague, um, certainly among my fellow conservatives and folks on the right and so on. Uh, so you, you don't have to, this is just bewildering me. You don't just because again, someone has, uh, come down on the same side as you on some very important issues that doesn't lead. It doesn't necessarily follow that you should then defend that person, uh, in all other aspects because they could be, I mean, quite frankly, you could have somebody, uh, listen, I'm pro-life. You could have somebody that's pro-life who is profoundly, uh, a, a horrible person otherwise. So, and, and does all sorts of horrible things and says all sorts of horrible things. You don't defend those. Um, or you shouldn't. So why the, the need, and, we, and quite frankly, you know, I'm, I'm dancing around a little bit, but you know, why the need to defend, for example, Donald Trump on, uh, like everything he did and said, just because you got some good judges, uh, is bewildering to me. Y yeah. Okay. You thank him for the judges, but that doesn't mean you, you defend all these other things uh, that the man did and said. So um, that's just an example. There are a whole host of other people and, you know, and 
wherever you are on issues and so on within the church, for example, is another example, right? Um, you know, obviously Roman Catholics have had a tough time with the pedophilia sc- uh, scandal um, over the last, well, now I guess it's like 20 plus years since it's come or 20 years since it's come to light. Um, you, you don't abandon your faith because of sin done by individuals in the church, including priests and bishops and so on, and cardinals and perhaps even popes. Um, but you don't, you don't, ju- you don't defend them just because of their positions, right? So that that's again, that's the point. Uh, rule number eight: Just because your opponent misbehaves doesn't give you an excuse to do the same. <laughs> so this is again, you know, kind of like a mom rule, right? From when you were a kid, it's pretty simple. Don't stoop down to the same unsavory level as your opponents. Again, it's been bewildering to me in the last few years that uh, people, you know, for example, praise Donald Trump for rolling up the sleeves and getting down in the mud with the Democrats. It's like, well, okay, why? <laughs> why would you defend that? So it's, it's uh, again, a bewildering thing. So, you know, go back to what your mom would say, you know, just because uh, somebody else did it doesn't mean you should do it. And just because your opponent's uh, misbehave doesn't give you the right to misbehave in response. Uh, rule number nine, um, in your pursuit of truth, right? And hopefully that's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to find out the truth on a whole host of things. Bring others along with you. This is, goes back to the persuasion thing, right? This is how it ties in. The ultimate point should be to bring light and truth to others as best you can in, in your where you are in life and so on. That should be the objective, so if you're doing that, think about what's the best way to do it, right? What's the best way to bring others along with you? And uh, you might get, um, that might give you hesitation at the keyboard, for example, on some things that you might otherwise um, write or shoot out there into, uh, onto Facebook or, in, or on Twitter. Rule number 10, um, and I mentioned talking points before, try to delve deeper than the talking points, right? Um, experts perhaps should, not, not perhaps, they should be digging deeper by definition of being an expert. Um, but I think for all of us in general, you know, perhaps it's wise to refrain from spouting off with great confidence on something about which, we might know little to nothing. <laughs> so um, that's, I think, a pretty good act of humility and just common sense. Um, now, rule rule number 11, next step is kind of rule number 11. You can't be an expert on everything. So find reliable, well-reasoned experts. Now, I understand, unfortunately, this is increasingly hard these days, but it's also more essential these days. Uh, with each passing day, it's harder, but more essential. So, you know, perhaps um, I'm going to suggest that um, the experts you rely on are not necessarily a screaming head, talking head on Fox News or MSNBC or CNN. Uh, perhaps you need to um, think a little bit more about um, who, where you're going to get your information and your expert views and comments and so on. So you need those people. Even if, listen, if, even if you write, 
that that's one of the arts of a. a, a one of the arts of being a, a newspaper columnist or an online columnist is that you're not an expert on everything. So you have to have a, a corral of, of experts, of people that you can trust, right? People that you are sure that they are well-reasoned and and they get it on, on whatever their field is. Um, so columnists have to do that. I, I've had to do that over the years, certainly, especially when I was writing a weekly column for Newsday and then Long Island Business News. Um you have to have those experts, the ones that you can trust. And you know what? If you're, whether you're again writing commentary or you're writing a book, or you're just a regular contributor, let's put it that way, on Facebook and Twitter, um, find those experts that you can trust that are well reasoned. And finally, rule number twelve is the one that you know when I taught MBA students, uh, it's just that that all encompassing rule, abide by the golden rule. You know, Matthew chapter seven, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you all do also to them. That's the golden rule. And when you're sitting down at the keyboard, again, whether to write a review, write some sort of criticism, write a book, write an analysis, or you're going to put up a Facebook post, or you're going to send out a tweet, Think about the golden rule. It helps. So there you go. There's my uh, 12 rules. I'm hoping, I hope that these rules help me uh, be more thoughtful, uh, persuasive, and productive as a uh, as a writer. And I hope uh, they do the same for you. And if you've got more rules that you think uh, need to be considered, I'd love to hear them. So, uh, you know, either, you know, shoot them up, post them on Facebook with uh, when I post this podcast over there or um, you know, feedback section and so on. So I'd love to hear from you guys if you've got some more rules that you think uh, might fit here. Thanks for listening. Your feedback and suggestions, again, always welcome. Please check out my various endeavors and books, uh, including uh, columns over at keatingfiles.com, my other podcast, Free Enterprise in Three Minutes, uh, my two latest nonfiction books, Behind Enemy Lines and Free Trade Rocks. Uh, they're available at amazon.com in paperback or in as uh, in, in for kind, for the Kindle. Um, you can also get signed books at raykeatingonline.com. Same goes for my novels. We're up to 14 Pastor Stephen Grant thrillers and mysteries. Woo! Um, getting some great feedback, reviews from people. That's fantastic. Um, you can read them in order which is beneficial, but each one is a standalone book as well. So there's 14 of them now. The most recent one is Past Lives, uh, which is a short story told actually from Pastor Stephen Grant's perspective, kind of a, not kind of a new way of, of, of writing one of these books. Uh, the previous one is Vatican Shadows, a Pastor Stephen Grant novel. So anyway, check out all of them if you haven't. Again, paperbacks and Kindle editions over at amazon.com, sign books at raykeatingonline.com. And one last point is, uh, hey, if you find the Disney Entertainment Company uh, interesting or certain aspects of it, go over to disneybizjournal.com. Been writing stuff over there on the Disney business, um, entertainment, uh, everything. We offer commentary, reviews, analysis, and so on. So disneybizjournal.com. I'm going on too long. Folks, thanks so much. Thanks for listening and God bless.